You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Third down, inches to go. Debater. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Star begins to count. What's up, Packer fans? Welcome to Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. I also want to mention um, it's been asked for several times by listeners, and this is something that I've definitely tried to shy away from, but we're going to go ahead and, and kind of mention it. There's been several people reaching out to me. Um, saying they wanted to donate to a Patreon or a cash app or whatever, just to kind of help support the show. And I've really held off on promoting that. And you're not going to hear me promote it often. I'm just going to do one quick plug just because um, I don't want to rob anyone of the opportunity. If indeed they do feel like they, uh, they would like to support the show. So here it is. This, this is awkward. If you can't tell already, <laughs> I do not feel good about doing stuff like this. However, um, everyone who's coaching me along says, hey, this is a part of it, man. And if you want to be successful, then you got to put that out there. You got to give people an opportunity to support your show. And I support several shows myself, so I somewhat relate to that sentiment. But I do want to give a shout out because the guy who sent me over the edge, his name is uh, is Brian. And I hope I hope I'm saying his last name right. I believe it's a Polish name. P. Piahovich, I believe is how you say it. Brian Piahovich. And I just want to thank him. He's my very first Patreon. And uh, pretty cool. He's, uh, you know, like I said, one of many that's asked about it. So we went ahead and set it up. Guys, if you want to support the show, you can do so by sending or uh, connecting with patreon.com forward slash. And it's just my name, Clayton Bailey, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-B-A-I-L-E-Y. So it's patreon.com forward slash Clayton Bailey. We're going to be putting some exclusive uh um, content on that as well. I'm getting a lot of feedback on the uh, Chalk Talk segments, things like that. So what we will probably do is uh, maybe do some extra Chalk Talk here in the, in the in the near future. And also within that Patreon, just giving the listeners an opportunity to uh, to kind of steer the ship a little bit. You know, if you if you are donating to the Patreon, you're a member of that group. I want to give you guys some extra, you know, added benefits. So the way that'll roll is if there's something you ever want covered, like I told Brian, hey man, anytime you uh, you want something covered in the in the show, just pop it in here and we'll put it, you know, at the top of the priority list. Uh, so with that being said, just wanted to get that out of the way. On today's show, what we're going to be doing, it's Bears week, and it's going to be all about Chicago Bears, uh, you know, from the, from the standpoint of how the Packers should attack the Chicago Bears, right? And last week we did a game plan episode. I actually did it on the Saturday episode. What I'm going to do is get a little bit ahead of it this week because there's a good chance we might have a special guest on the show with a Saturday, which I'm really excited about. So if that does fall into place, we've already got the game plan episode out of the way. So that's exactly what this is going to be today. We're game planning against the Chicago Bears. That's the plan, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the injury report. Then we're going to put a detailed game plan together of how we should attack the Bears both on offense and defense, okay? And that's kind of how everything's going to lay out. But let's waste no time. Let's jump right into the first part um, of the show here, which we're just going to kind of go through Twitter a little bit. You know, yesterday um, had some injury news come out. By the time you hear this podcast on Thursday afternoon, um, there may be some more updated injury news, but as it sits right now, um, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Alan Lazard were limited in practice yesterday, and uh, Quay Walker and Keyshawn Nixon were both full participants, which is great news because, you know, Keyshawn only had um, that one snap, right? And he graded out as the Packers' highest player 
take that with a grain of salt, right? You know, one play really doesn't mean much. But what I did notice about him, first of all, it's one of Rich Basaccia's guys, so you know he's going to be a key role, a key player on special teams, but also just his aggressiveness in that play. When I watched that back and the way he played that zone defense and attacking the underneath route, man, it really did. It kind of popped off the off the film to me like, holy cow, this dude, uh, he looks physical. He looks like he's got good burst. He may be someone who can kind of help pick up the slack a little bit. You know, he reminded me of his, uh, I don't even know their size comparison, but he kind of reminded me of, uh, of kind of that Chandon Sullivan type player, right? And, you know, last year he played that played the slot for the Packers and in no way, shape, or form am I saying this guy's going to start, Nixon's going to start over Rasul Douglas. I'm just saying we need some aggressive, uh, you know, defensive players there in the back, in the, uh, in the, you know, from the defensive back standpoint and uh, and attacking those underneath routes if indeed we're going to stay in this quarter coverage, which all all signs point to, to that happening. And I, I want to address this too. Well, first of all, Quay Walker, the fact that he's he's healthy and full participant, thank the good Lord above, because I'm telling you that was that was one of the highlights of the game for me was just watching him there in the first half. The guy, I mean, he looks like an NFL uh, linebacker. He really does. And I'm I'm excited to see how he plays against the Bears as well. I'm I'm just waiting for the the opportunity for him to maybe play a little bump in the uh, in pass coverage. You know, maybe maybe chip a, a tight end on his way out to the route, and then him spy Justin Fields. And the second that Justin Fields decides to tuck that ball, Quay Walker will be all in his face. He's got the athleticism to do that, and uh, I think that's something that's going to be be exciting to watch. But uh, as far as the game to go back to the Minnesota game for just a second, man. Everybody commenting on on everything that went wrong on defense, and and I've got a chance to study the tape, and I've also got a chance to listen to other people who know what they're talking about. I'm not talking about just you know random Joes that that you know don't really understand the concept of the Vic Fangio defense. I'm talking about people you know like like Darius Butler on the McAfee show broke broke down some plays, right, and kind of looked at, uh, you know, like the the blown coverage there where it was Savage and Amos who were just running in circles, didn't have a clue what was going on, and just kind of understanding what happened. After watching the tape, you know, I'm seeing on Twitter people, it's like they're more discouraged. They're like, oh, my God, this is horrible. I can't believe they played this bad. Okay, yeah, I mean, they played bad, but I found myself getting excited because the fact that – the mistakes that were made, guys, the big plays that Justin Jefferson had, it, it wasn't like he was just better than us. And I heard I heard people talking like, oh, he's just a dominant player. He was running butt naked. And the reason he was running butt naked is because they blew the coverage. And those are mistakes that can be corrected. You know, the game plan, looking back on the defensive game plan, I have no problem with it because we've got to stop with this just throw Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson. If you do that, guys, and, and you you guys have probably heard it over and over and over this week, I'm sure, but if you do that, you have to change up the entire philosophy of this defense. And this is the same defense that two weeks ago every single Packer fan under the sun was jacked out of their mind about. They were absolutely fired up about this defense and what we're going to do in the system and the personnel, and blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden it's scrap it. Let's just play man coverage, put Jair on the best receiver. What are you talking about? Please use your head. Like, and I know a lot of those comments come out, you know, they're based off emotion. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody in the moment, right? I, I remember watching Justin Jefferson running loose. And I was frustrated, and and my my initial thought wanted to be just stop Jefferson. You heard my game plan, that which is, it's wild. It's uh, you know, I I don't want to say I was surprised that I got the game plan right, but you know it, when you when you lay it out on paper and go, okay, here's the top priority: shut down Jeff, Justin Jefferson and let's run the ball. And they didn't do either. But the reason they didn't shut down Jefferson is because it was blown coverages, right? It's mental mistakes. And those are the thing that Aaron was talking about, even on the offensive side of the ball. I loved it that he kind of come went to bat for Christian Watson and said, look, he's young. The young receivers are going to have drops. It's going to happen. Guys, Jerry Rice in his very first year in the NFL had nine drops his rookie year. Nine. That's the greatest receiver of all time. In my opinion, most people would say he's the GOAT, right? Um so we got to kind of pump our brakes on that. But I love the fact that Aaron Rodgers said drops are going to happen. It's the mental mistakes that we've got to get ironed out. And I think that they're going to come out against Chicago and be ready to play. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that are going to sit here and say this is a slam dunk win. I heard so many people say that about the Vikings game. 
It was they all week long, leading up to it, the whole offseason. When I picked them to lose, I got tweeted at and DM'd going, I can't believe you expect the Vikings to beat this team with this up, upgraded defense. And it's like, guys, it's 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 week one, and it's a divisional opponent, right? Like anything can happen, any given Sunday, the old cliche. And it's so true. The The amount of – the amount of difference in talent between the worst team in the National Football League and the best team in the National Football League is such a minute amount. And to think that a division rival at home with the with an upgraded um pass rush couldn't, you know, it's like people thought they didn't have any chance to win that game. That's just silly. I mean, it really is. So um with that being said, I come away after watching the tape a little more encouraged. If Christian Watson catches that touchdown pass, then the score all of a sudden is, you know, what, 23 to 14, right? Not in the moment, but let's just tack that touchdown on us. Now it's 23 to 14, right? Okay, if you <clears throat> if you go back to the goal line stand where we went for it on fourth down, which I agree with the call. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with the play call, but I agree with the call to go for it there, especially early in the game. And the way that I look at that, anytime you are inside the five and – there is uh, enough time for you to capitalize on getting the ball back with great field position. If indeed you don't get the touchdown by going for it on fourth down, I feel like it's worth the risk. I feel like you've got a better chance of scoring the touchdown, getting less than five yards than you do not getting it. And even if you don't get it, the, the offense, the opposing offense is pinned so deep that you can still capitalize on the field position and still get points out of it one way or another. Now, with that being said, I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with the shotgun run call, right? But you know, like like Rogers was saying on the McAfee show, for the longest time, people would come out in a heavy set and they would get stymied. It's like, my God, you're down there that close. Why don't you just spread everything out? And then when you spread everything out and go to a gun, it's oh, you only had you know a foot to gain there. Why did you spread it out? Why didn't you go heavy? It, I mean, the media. And fans are always going to find a way to knock whatever the call is. It's like with Nathaniel Hackett in the Denver game, right? You know, if if you have any other kicker other than McManus, you know, a, a real strong leg kicker, I understand everybody's sentiment that hey, look, you've got to you've got to try to get the first down there. And and when you kind of weigh in the fact that Russell Wilson is this, you know, extremely, in my opinion, overpaid quarterback, you put all that money into him and you put it on his shoulders. I can understand why you would want to go for it there. But at the same time, if he makes that field goal, Nathaniel Hackett's coming out like, wow, man, he really had a lot of confidence in his kicker. The offense did their job and got him down in field goal range. It's a whole different narrative we're not even talking about. But the fact that he just barely missed the kick, now it's a stupid call. I just don't subscribe to that kind of mind mindset. I really don't. Not to say that I dis I think overall I'm kind of with Peyton Manning. I disagree with the mindset there with 40 seconds left, just letting the clock run down rather than call a timeout early and go, okay, what do we want to do here? And really think about it and put some thought into it. I think he did kind of freeze. But anyway, it's a Packers show. I'm just saying that along with that fourth down run, uh, their fourth and go. So if Watson catches that pass, right? It's, it's now, what, 23-14 would be the final score. If you get that touchdown there inside the five, then, you know, it's, what, 23-21. to 21. It's a whole different ball game, guys, a whole different ball game. And like Darius Butler says, you know, if, what what's he say? If ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk, right? It's easy to go back and second-guess stuff, but in the moment, again, looking at the tape, I'm, I feel a lot better coming out of that game and uh, I think we're going to be just fine. So, with that being said, like I said, David Bottiari, Elton Jenkins, Alan Lazard were limited in practice today. Quay Walker, Keyshawn Nixon, full participants. It sounds like Alan Lazard is going to go Sunday, and I sure hope that's the case um, because I think that will take some pressure off the other receivers. But at the same time, I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious to me that Alan Lazard is indeed the number one receiver. He is – the, the number one target for Aaron Rodgers. He is a guy that understands this system better than any other receiver on the roster. He is a guy that's got that prototypical wide receiver body top where he can body balls, but he can also go up and, and get that 50-50 ball as well. Um, he runs decent routes. He, you know, you've, you've heard us talk in the offseason about Aaron Rodgers' quarterback rating when throwing to Alan Lazard. He's just a sure-handed receiver. I think he's I think he's a dog. I really do. I think he's he's – 
perfectly capable and the obvious number one receiver on this team. So if indeed he can play Sunday, that's going to change the whole, you know, the whole outcome of the game, in my opinion. So um, but he did speak to the media yesterday. So let's do this. Let's go to Alan Lazard here in the locker room after practice and see what he taught, what he says about his availability with the Bears. Um, everything, you know, Iowa State just got that big dub over Iowa this past weekend and everything. So shout out Coach Campbell and the Cyclones. Six-year drought. Um, but, you know, this rivalry, I mean, it's the oldest in the history. Let him <laughs> get know, through talking a little college special. ball here and we'll get to the um, Obviously have gone and, and, and battled with these guys for a while now since Coach LaFleur has been here and everything. But um, we know what we're getting into um, regardless of their previous history and whatnot, they're still a very good physical team, especially defensively. And if we don't prepare the right right way and um, go into the game with the right mindset, they'll take advantage of it. Do you think that your status will go down to like 6 o'clock Sunday night, or will you know before then what you can't predict the future. <laughs> probably. It's probably the best answer I can give you. As someone who's had to gain Aaron's trust and take the lumps and go through it, Oh, I think a lot of it's just confidence in yourself and just being deliberate in your routes and your decision making. Um, that way, he's able to read off of you. You know, I think it's when you're playing slow, playing hesitant, is when he feels indecisiveness, and that's when he kind of gets off the read and everything. So, just to believe in the coaching, the trusting, you know, honing in on your playbook, um, and just focusing on the details will just help everything kind of marry up a little bit better. Say it again. Um, you know, I'm watching the defense, obviously, um, seeing how they're playing, their techniques, and everything. Obviously, we got to see them again um, later in the year. Yeah, Vikings. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about the Vikings. Um, and then, obviously, you know, our guys and everything, kind of just seeing the details that we're missing. Um, if there's any way I can help in correction, um, and just kind of talk to them and what their mental process is going through these plays, you know, on if they did have a missed assignment or they didn't execute the play to the best ability, like what was the cause behind it? Trying to find the root of it and then solving it from there. Do you guys have a 24-hour rule or anything with how you flush it or is it just each guy kind of goes about it in their own way? Uh, yeah, I don't think we have like a time limit on it. I think, you know, it's just the NFL, one. I mean, we got 16 more of these opportunities. So, you know, why dwell on just one, one day of four quarters? You know what I'm saying? It's a long season and everything. And, we got to keep that positive mindset, but, you know, it's Wednesday now, so I think the last thing on our mind is what happened on Sunday and everything. we got to keep pushing forward and um, focus on the future. All right, so says he feels very, very optimistic about playing Sunday. That's that's a great, a great sign there. And, um, you know, what he was talking about kind of moving forward to the next game, Aaron said it on the McAfee show as well, is, you know, that's the, the kind of the, the beautiful thing about, the league and, and, you know, playing in the national football league. And it's also a bad thing. You know, when you win the game, there's hardly any time to celebrate. You're automatically right back to work, studying the game plan, getting ready, putting the install in for the next opponent. But also one of the positives is when you have a bad game like that, you know, there's no time to dwell on it either. You got to clear your mind and get right into the next game plan. Right. And uh, very, very important. So that's going to be awesome if Alan Lazard can indeed go on Sunday as well as, you know, maybe Bakhtiari, maybe Elton Jenkins. I don't know. At this point, I'm not getting my hopes up. I really ain't. You know, uh, Caleb Jones got activated on the 53-man roster. Sounds like John Runyon Jr. Uh, with the concussion, you know, is uh, is in concussion protocol. So that's probably why they called him up. My guess is John Runyon probably won't play. Um, Sunday, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. But with that being said, we have the injury report pulled up here from Wednesday per, uh, participation, right? Let's start with the uh, Green Bay Packers. David Bakhtiari, uh, limited participation. Jake Hansen, full participation, unfortunately. <laughs> I know a lot of people are going, crap, I was hoping he'd be out. Jake Hansen is one of those guys that it's it's pretty obvious to me now. Even, you know, I know it's easy to go, oh, it's just one game, Clayton. But, you know, from what we've seen as a whole – Jake Hansen's a, a serviceable backup offensive lineman, not someone that you want to have starting where a defense can game plan against them because they know, okay, once what I mean by that is once the game plan's installed, if someone gets hurt and someone like Hansen comes in, it's very seldom a defensive coordinator will go, oh, you know, that Hansen guy's in at guard. Let's attack him now. They're not going to change their entire game plan 
just like what we talked about with Justin Jefferson, you don't change that entire game plan in the heat of the moment. You try to make slot adjustments and move forward, right? Um, but Elton Jenkins, limited participation, pretty much the same as last week, so nothing's changed there yet. Alan Lazar, limited participation, but you heard from him just then. Sounds very optimistic. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, full participation. He's ready to go, uh, barring any uh, setbacks. John Runyon did not participate. Like I said, he's in concussion protocol. And Quay Walker, full participation, and that's great news there. Moving on to Chicago Bears' side. Uh, Valus Jones Jr., wide receiver, hamstring, limited participation. Riley Reef, offensive lineman, had a shoulder injury, and he was limited participation. So um, that's kind of how the injury report shakes up, shakes out as of Wednesday. By the time you're hearing this pod, maybe some more information is coming out from Thursday. But that's kind of how it sits today and uh, and what we look like uh, going into this Bears game. So just wanted to kind of touch on that stuff real quick to, to lay the foundation for this game plan we're going to talk about. Um, here, uh, you know, against the Chicago Bears. Let's do this. <clears throat> Let's look at the PFF grades real quick as a team, okay? They played the San Francisco 49ers. You got to take into consideration they played in the monsoon, guys. Um, I know some people go, well, it wasn't raining the entire game, and I understand that. I get it. But at the same time, both teams had to play in it, and um, and it was a mess. It was. If you're, if you're going to just look at that one-game saturation and say this is what the team is, I think that's malpractice. I really do. But – the uh, Chicago Bears last week against the 49ers in the monsoon, they ended up winning the game 19 to 10. Okay. Their overall PFF grade as a team was 47.1. Guys, let's put that into consideration. Hopefully, I'm not got a list here because I'm switching back and forth to tabs. I know you guys have heard of that on the pod here lately. The Green Bay Packers overall PFF grade as a team against the Vikings was 55.8. I think everybody would pretty much say that the Minnesota Vikings are a little bit uh, tougher. Uh, you know, opponent, if you will, seeing that Trey Lance played like absolute dog crap. And then, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, you got Kirk Cousins who played pretty well, right? You've also got the fact that one of the one of, if not the best player on the 49ers roster in in Kittle, they're tied in, did not play in that game as well. And the Bears still struggled that bad. So the Packers again against the Vikings, 55.8 overall. Chicago against the 49ers, 47.1. Chicago's offensive grade was a 57.7. Their uh, their pass grade, let's just do it by unit like this. I like this. Just, you know, it's one game. It is what it is, but let's kind of take a look at it here. Their offensive grade, Chicago Bears, was a 57.7. The Packers' defensive grade was a 52.5. Okay, so they pretty much played very, very similar to one another there. You give the slight advantage to Chicago and how they played. Uh, their passing grade, I, this makes me grin, because Justin Fields' uh, passing grade, the team's passing grade as a whole, which was, to the best of my knowledge, every snap was taken by Justin Fields, 34.6. 34.6 was their passing grade, okay? Our pass defense, or our coverage grade, I should say, which I, I feel like, you know, a combination of pass rush, but mainly coverage, was a 50.5, so advantage Packers from how they played against the Vikings, okay? The the Bears' uh, pass blocking grade, 73.4. That's pretty solid. That was the thing that they did the best in the entire game on Sunday against the Niners, 73.4 pass blocking grade. The Packers' pass rush grade was a 68.3, so played a little bit – the Bears played a little bit better in that matchup there. Receiving grade – the Bears had a 62.6. Let's go back to the coverage grade for the Packers, 50.5. So you got to up it there. You got to step it up. Uh, their running grade for the uh, Chicago Bears was a 51.7. And the Packers' run defense, guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but our run defense picked up exactly where it left off last year, 48.5. Okay. And again, this is only one game. You got to take it with a grain of salt, but it is what it is. Their run blocking grade is 64.9. So let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. The Bears' defensive grade was a 45.3. Okay. The Packers' offensive grade was a 61.1, significantly higher. Right. Now you're starting to see why Vegas odds is anywhere from nine and a half to 10 and a half point favorites for the Green Bay Packers. Right. Um, their run defense was horrible. 28.3 run defense in a game where you know the other team is going to be running the football, guys. There was no surprise there. With the weather and and obviously, you know, with this uh, with this Shanahan-style uh, offense coming in, you knew it was going to be run heavy, especially their first year in it, kind of like Aaron Rodgers' first year 
in uh, Matt LaFleur's system. You know, they leaned on the run a little bit more than they have the last couple years, right? But, uh, yeah, their run defensive grade was a 28.3. That is horrible, and that's one of Roquan Smith's uh, biggest weaknesses that Bears fans don't like to talk about. He gets a ton of tackles, yeah, but typically he's chasing the play. Typically he's not fundamentally sound, and the defense as a whole hasn't been. Right now I know this is a new defense, but we're talking strictly personnel. We're going to talk about the new defense that's been implemented. But, uh, yeah, run defense was bad. Tackle grade was a 49.4. Their pass rush grade was a 59.3. Their coverage grade wasn't horrible, a 64.8. But their special teams was really solid at a 73.2, which kind of that shows you what won the game there. The Chicago Bears protected the football. They didn't make the mistakes. It was ugly, ugly football, but they played good special teams, and they let San Francisco make the, make the mistakes. That's exactly what happened there. So uh, that's kind of how it shakes out PFF-wise. Okay, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Again, we hit on the injury report, and we hit on some of the early PFF grades as a whole to kind of give you strengths and weaknesses. And now what I'm going to do, we're going to dive into the game plan. I drew up a complete game plan of how I feel like the Packers should attack the Chicago Bears, how they should handle them when the Bears are on offense and on defense as well, right? So uh, we're going to get into that. But before we do, we're going to take us a quick commercial break. And I just want to mention that today's show is brought to you by pristineauction.com, okay? Pristine's the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. All of our listeners actually have a chance to win a Jordy Nelson signed championship football trophy. You can check that out on our Twitter page. Uh, just check out Ryan's uh, or the Packernet Twitter page. You'll see a, a link there that shows that trophy. Really, really cool setup there. All, all you got to do is head over to pristineauction.com and click register on the top of the page. When you register, use our registration code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E, and that will enter you into the contest. As a bonus, Pristine Auction will kick in $10 off your first winning auction. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. That drawing will be will, will be held on Monday, September the 19th. So again, guys, let's go support those who support us. Go over to pristineauction.com and uh, get yourself something, as Cousin Eddie says, real nice. But let's do this. Let's take us a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to lay out the game plan on how to beat the Chicago Bears. But first, let's, play, let's uh, go ahead and pay some bills here. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the Chicago Bears. Bears at Packers, Sunday night football, 720 Central, 820 Eastern kickoff. Um, man, I'm going to be up late doing the postgame show, but I haven't been this excited about going in uh, to the work day on or on uh, on Monday. Absolutely exhausted. I haven't been this excited in a long time. It, it is what it is, and it's going to be well worth it in my opinion. But with that being said, Chicago last year was 6-11. and 11. That was their record, right? And I just want to point out that, um, you know, their scoring offense, Chicago's last year, they only scored 18.3 points per game, guys, okay? They were 27th in the league, but what you got to take into consideration is their new offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, so you got to kind of blend in Green Bay success on offense last year. Okay, that's something you got to really, really take into consideration. Now, their scoring defense last year, Chicago's scoring defense was 23.9 points per game is what they gave up. That was 22nd best in the league. And uh, their new defensive philosophy, you know, you guys know they went from a 34 to a 43 now. Okay, Um, you know, that that really adjusts the roster as far as body types and things. But at the same time, defense is defense. And I'm going to kind of get into the difference in the two and how this changes. But the new defense they bring in is from head coach Matt Eberflus. Right. And it came from Indianapolis. So when you take that into consideration, Indianapolis's defense last year only gave up 21.5 points per game, which was not the best in the league. So they were a top 10 scoring defense last year as opposed to a top, you know, 22 scoring defense there that Chicago had. So Luke Getze, like I said, he comes in from Indian – or I'm sorry, not Luke Getze, but Matt Eberflus comes in from Indianapolis and uh, <clears throat> takes over as head coach. He was their defensive coordinator. And when you look at um, kind of their uh, – they're, from an offensive standpoint, Luke Getze is their new offensive coordinator, okay? Now, in Green Bay, we were somewhat familiar with Luke Getze, right? He was the quarterback's coach, but he was also the passing coordinator, okay? And you're starting to see that the majority of the coaches that do get hired in, whether it's promoted to offensive coordinator or hired from, you know, poached from another team to become their offensive coordinator or what have you, typically they're passing coordinators. You know, we heard about that. We pointed out last week that, Kevin O'Connell with the Minnesota Vikings was actually the L.A. Rams tight end coach, but he was also their passing uh, coordinator. So it's something that's important. You know, Luke Getze was with the Green Bay Packers since 2014. <clears throat> he took a short stint for one year in college as an offensive coordinator and came back to Green Bay, to the best of my knowledge, is how that laid out. So on the defensive side of the ball, like we said, Matt Eberflus, the new head coach, was the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. He brings over their DB coach, <clears throat> which was their DB slash safeties coach, okay? So he's a guy that's very, very familiar with the secondary. I don't think it's a coincidence that they bring in Luke Getze, who was the quarterback coach for Aaron Rodgers last year, the reigning back-to-back MVP, right? And then he also brings in the DB slash safeties coach from Indianapolis to specialize in stopping that reigning MVP from passing the ball over the yard, right? And it's important to understand the difference in defense, right? They switched to a 43 defense, but it's not just a a normal 43 multiple. It's a zone-heavy defense, okay? A very, very zone-heavy defense. Why do I mention that? I mention that because you have to attack a zone defense much different than a man coverage defense, And one of the keys, I heard Michael Lombardi talk about this. I've heard Pat Kerwin talk about this. The key to that is you need a quarterback that's going to use his shoulders, right? And what I mean by that, not throwing the football, but you cannot telegraph where you're going to throw the football. When when someone's playing a zone defense, their eyes are on the quarterback at all times, for the most part. There may be some man principles mixed in, but for the most part, they're watching the quarterback. And, guys, I went back and watched the tape, and I didn't get the third trip through, but I watched every play on game pass, the condensed game. I watched every pass twice, 
every play twice. And Trey Lance did an absolutely horrible job at, at uh, you know, disguising where he's going to throw the football. He telegraphed every single pass, and, and he did it with his shoulders. He, all you've got to do in that zone defense, not all you got to do, but the majority of, of how you really gain an advantage playing a zone defense is reading the quarterback's body language, reading his shoulder movement. That's going to tell you exactly where he's throwing the football. And that's what makes quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers so lethal is you'll notice how they'll – they, they, you know, some some players like Ben Roethlisberger would throw that pump fake constantly. Pump fake. Brett Favre did it a lot back in the day. Aaron Rodgers doesn't pump fake much, but you see him constantly twist his torso and move his shoulders. And when you're playing a zone defense, that really throws those defenders off because if Aaron's looking right and he turns his shoulders left, the safety that could cause them to flip their hips even just a half a step, and that puts a receiver at an advantage and the DB at a disadvantage. It's something that's very important. I just want to mention that because that's something that goes um, kind of untalked about a lot when it comes to a zone defense. But on the offensive side of the ball, back for the Bears here, I'm going to talk about tendencies. I'm going to talk about personnel, and I'm going to talk about run-to-pass ratio for just a second, and then we'll get into the game plan, okay? So the Bears last year – they ran 11 personnel 65% of the time. That means three wide receiver sets, okay? That means, and the reason it's worth mentioning, like I said on past podcasts, is when you run an 11 personnel, that means your nickel defense is on the field, okay? Now, one thing I did notice about the Packers last week, and I don't know if it was miscommunication, they wasn't prepared, or if it was a part of the game plan. Nobody knows other than the players and the coaches that are in that meeting room. But they played a lot of base when there was 11 personnel on the field, it was almost like Green Bay was anticipating they were going to run out of that 11, right? And and I noticed it several times, and I was like, that's really odd. That's why you've seen a Preston Smith get get uh, kind of matched up on a Justin Jefferson from time to time, right? It just – everything kind of got jumbled in. But, again, Chicago ran 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, 65% of the time last year. Green Bay – and the reason I mentioned Green Bay is because, of course, Luke Getzey comes over. He's going to implement his system. He's going to bring some of that personnel changed in. They only did it 61% of the time. Now, it could be that the Bears were losing most of the season and Green Bay played – played from ahead a little bit more than Chicago, probably a lot more than Chicago, but uh, 65 to 61. So you're probably going to see a good little blend there. Probably going to fall somewhere in that category of 63% 11 personnel. It's just worth mentioning. Now, Chicago ran 12 personnel. That's one running back, two tight ends. That would trigger a base look in a normal situation for the Green Bay defense. Chicago ran 12 personnel 24% of the time. Green Bay ran 12 personnel 29% of the time. So you can probably up that average to 26 to 27%. So what you're seeing is based on <clears throat> what Chicago did last year, 11 personnel is going to go down a little bit. 12 personnel is going to go up a touch. Okay. Now, Chicago also ran 13 personnel 6% of the time. That blew me away. One running back, three tight ends 6% of the time last year. Uh, Green Bay only ran at 2% of the time, so that's probably going to fade back into that 3% category. So with all that being said, the reason it's mentioned is you're probably going to see the majority nickel, which is typically how every NFL game is, and you're probably going to see base form uh, that base set on there 35% of the time you'll see our base defense on the field is kind of what I'm projecting. Probably probably 35 to 32% or 35 to uh yeah 35 to 32% of the time, 32 to 35% of the time I should say. Um you'll have base on the field. So you're going to see a lot of Quay Walker, you're going to see a lot of that nickel set again. And uh, I think that is the strength of our defense much more so than just our base 34 where we have three defensive linemen and four linebackers. I think uh, I would much rather see that uh, nickel 245 out there personally, especially with the way Kenny played in a in a four and a five technique, kind of playing more of that defensive end role. Did a really, really good job. His pass grade was just phenomenal this uh, this last week. So, all right, first quarter, you know, this is what we always say about the game plan. First quarter is all about assessment. It's all about, okay, you know, when they put this game plan together and they look at these numbers and they look at, okay, how are we going to attack the Chicago Bears on both offense and defense? In the first quarter, the goal is by the end of the first quarter, we have a true assessment of what they're actually doing. Are they doing what we expected them to do or did they go completely off script? And if they did go off script, you use the second and third quarter to adjust to that, right? Or do you amp up what it is you're doing that is successful because you did successfully cheat and gain advantage by 
being prepared with what they're going to do. Now, it's kind of tough. Just like the Minnesota Vikings, you've got a new coaching staff. Just because someone did something as an offensive or defensive coordinator in another, you know, in another city for another NFL team doesn't mean they're going to come in and completely mirror that. The chances are great that they are going to, but it's not 100%, you know, slam dunk there. So how would I attack the Chicago Bears offense, okay? From from a game planning standpoint, <clears throat> if I'm the defensive coordinator, right, what I'm doing if I'm Joe Barry is, number one, we need to find out real quick in that first quarter assessment, can we apply pressure with a four-man rush on Justin Fields, okay? Because if we can, then what we want to do is make Fields beat us from within the pocket, okay? We want him to sit in that pocket and play quarterback. We do not want him running around right, and making off-script plays. It's crazy because the big turning point of the 49ers game was actually a busted coverage, which cracked me up because I, I'm watching Packer, Packer fans react to the busted coverage and the blown you know blown assignment there in the Minnesota game. And it's like, guys, this is week one. This happens all across the league. The freaking Tennessee Titans got beat by the New York Giants, right? Like you, you just never know. The Eagles almost got beat by the Detroit Lions, and the Eagles are some people's Super Bowl favorites. Week one, like I said last week, I ain't touching it in the gambling realm, right? I dabbled a little bit in live betting, and that was it because you don't know what's going to happen in week one. It's the closest thing to the playoffs as far as uncertainty that you're going to get because every stadium is packed, every team's fan base is excited, and everybody's coming in with new coaching staffs and new wrinkles, and nobody really knows what they're doing. When you get into like week five or six – and the tape really starts to show what teams are doing, that's when things settle down. But that week one gets uh, it gets a little bit nuts. So again, can you get a four man can you get a four man pressure uh on Justin Fields, right? And when you're rushing, you want to make Fields beat you from within a pocket. You want to do that with an outside rush in a contained method. Now, this is what's funny. You guys listened to the pod last week, you know that I said to attack the Minnesota Vikings, we need to push the center of the pocket. You want you don't want Cousins being able to step up in the pocket. So I was expecting a little more A-gap pressure from a sense of let's take those interior defensive linemen in the nickel 245, our two defensive linemen. Let's put them somewhere between a one and a three technique and push the center of that pocket back on Kirk Cousins. The Packers did totally the opposite. They literally went with an outside rush. They 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 put their edge defenders at a wide seven in most cases, right? And then they had their defensive line at like a four and a five technique. So you had the middle you the middle of the pocket was not getting pushed at all. And you've seen time and time again, Kirk Cousins, the outside rush came along. Kirk Cousins was able to step up in the pocket and deliver the football. I just didn't understand that approach. I really didn't. Now, Kenny Clark had a lot of success. His PFF pass rush grade was in the 90s, right? Had a great game. Rashawn Gary didn't grade out that well, but he recorded a sack. Right, they did end up getting pressure from time to time, but you didn't feel like throughout the course of the day, the game, that Kirk Cousins was uncomfortable. It just never felt like that, not to me anyway. Right. So, with that being said, um, you, I, everything that I said last week about pushing the center of the pocket on Kirk Cousins, and they went the opposite this week. I want them to do the opposite of what we did. You know what what, what I said last week. I want them to rush with the outside technique, right? And the reason being is you do not want Justin Fields running horizontally across the field, sideline to sideline. You want him to have to step up in the pocket and deliver the football. That's how I would attack that. And the other thing is, well, first of all, why do you want to do that? You're probably going, well, Justin Fields is kind of touted as one of these up-and-coming quarterbacks. You know, I personally don't subscribe to that thought process, but there are people that's saying, oh yeah, he's going to be the net one of the the next great young quarterbacks. Guys, his his PFF pass grade last last week, again, 34.6. He was horrendous. And I know it was raining, but that's kind of you're starting to see a theme now from last year over to this year, how his uh PFF passing grade, passer grade, I should say, is just it's horrible. Let's make him pass then. Let's make them play to their weakness. That should be the goal. Now, how else do you do that? You play with a heavy box. I want to see a little bit more of the safety in the box on this game this week, and let's really, really shut down their run. This is at Lambeau. 
We're going to have the home field advantage. I don't know what the weather forecast is. I haven't looked in looked that far ahead yet. But let's really, really play with a heavy box this week. So you take away the run, you take away Montgomery in the run, and you force Justin Fields to be a quarterback and beat you. And you do that with that quarter coverage, right? And just play it safe. You know, last week they got a little bit too cute, a little bit too aggressive, and that's what Darius Butler was talking about. And not aggressive in a sense of blitzing, aggressive in the sense of the safety just kind of freelanced a little too much, got turned around, and it was big play after big play. It was blown coverage. If we don't blow any coverages this week and we make Justin Fields use every single inch of the field and we keep him in the pocket and don't let him scramble around, I think the Packers are going to come out and they're going to they're going to more than cover that spread. However, if you allow him to run around and you don't play with a heavy box and they're, and they're allowed to establish a little bit of a run with Montgomery, then it's going to be a long day at the office. This I'm not saying the Packers would lose, but I, I think it will be a lot closer than it needs to be. That's my game plan for shutting down their offense. Find out real quick, can we get enough pressure on Justin Fields with a four-man rush and do it in a contained manner where he has to step up in the pocket? Make Fields beat you from the pocket and contain that outside rush or that outside contain, right? Rush with the outside contain and play with a heavy box to stop the run. That's exactly how I would attack their offense. Now, let's slide over to the defensive side of the ball, okay? Attacking their defense. When I say defense from their standpoint, okay, like here's how the Packers' offense should attack their defense, all right? Like I said, they're a 4-3 zone heavy. Forget the 4-3 for a minute, guys, because it, there's not a huge difference between a 34 and a 4-3 when you get outside of the base. And you guys know 11 personnel dominates in this league, which means they shouldn't be there in their nickel the majority of the time. Well, guess what that means? Our nickel 2-4-5 and their nickel defense they run out of the 4-3 is virtually the same thing. You've got two big-body defensive line in the middle and two edge rushers on the outside, two inside linebackers playing in the middle of the field, and then you've got your five DBs playing coverage, right? So are they 4-3 zone heavy, right? Are they sticking to their norm and they're playing a zone heavy defense that Matt Everflus liked to play in Indy and that you've seen a lot of last week against the 49ers. That's the first thing you've got to determine. Remember, first quarter is all about assessment, right? Are they in that 4-3 zone heavy defense? Okay, if they are, they were in a four-man front 93% of the snaps, guys, last year in Indianapolis. I want you to think about that number. 93% of Indianapolis Colts' defensive snaps last year, they only had a four-man front. They showed nothing exotic up front. Okay. They didn't have people dancing in the A gaps. They didn't have people, you know, coming up and trying to overload the, the backside or showing a, a showing a bandit blitz or a dog. They didn't show none of that, right? Seven only seven percent of the time they did that. Ninety-three percent of the defensive snaps, they were only in a four-man front. I think that's a huge, huge advantage for the Packers running game. Because one thing that happens when you bring those exotic blitzes, yes, it, it causes confusion in the pass protection, but also when it's late, when it's early sugar and late rotation, and at the last second, you see Minnesota do that really, really well last week. You know, the, the one running play we showed, they actually did it and they got burned. When you bring somebody up in that A gap last second, and the, the mock has already been identified and the protection's already been set, and you're checking to a run, uh, run player, you're already got a run play called, and now all of a sudden everybody's blocking assignment kind of changes a little bit. Even though it's a zone blocking uh, scheme for the Packers. There's still going to be a lot of things that come into consideration when it's adjusting on the fly, players moving in and out of your zone, especially right before the ball snapped. It makes people, it makes offensive linemen uneasy. It makes a running back a little more unsure when he looks up and sees an extra hat in a spot that wasn't there when the protection was called and the mic, the mic was identified. That stuff can play a big role, right? Indy blitzed 20% of their snaps last year. All right, so what's that tell you? If they're in a four-man front 93% of the time and they blitz 20% of the time, right? I mean, you're talking about a 17% difference there. That means they ran a lot of delay blitzes, okay? Not a lot, but when they did blitz, it was majority delay blitz, okay? what Now, how does that come into play? It comes into play, and I think it's why – if if indeed that is what they did last week against the Chicago Bears or against the uh, San Francisco 49ers, you've got to have a quarterback. You guys remember earlier in a podcast, I mentioned that the four attributes that I think is most important for a quarterback, I'll try to remember all four of them. I got them wrote down somewhere, but it's pre-snap read, post-snap read, quick release, and accuracy. 
Those are the four things. Not necessarily in that order, but pre-snap read, your ability to come to the line and identify this is what the defense is trying to do. Post-snap read, the ball is snapped. You confirm, yes, that's what they're doing because they, that tells you, okay, they they weren't sugaring your ability or, oh, crap, that wasn't what I expected. Well, I automatically know my post-snap read goes here, right? And then a quick release to get the ball out, which the great quarterbacks have always done it, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, even Peyton Manning had a pretty quick release. It was a funky-looking release, but, man, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The ball always came out on time when it came to Peyton Manning, right? And then, of course, accuracy, ball placement, right? That's important because if they are blitzing 20% of the time, but they only showed a four-man front 93% of the time, when that ball snapped, all of a sudden Aaron reads, okay, they're blitzing here. That's a post-snap read. It's very, very important. And the other thing is you've got to establish the run. I said it last week, and this week it's even more it's even more important, right? I mean, their run defense grade, the Chicago Bears on PFF, was a 28.3. If we don't pound the freaking rock this week, there is something real bad wrong. And the only thing that worries me is Aaron coming out this week and trying to do too much to recover from the debacle last week. You've got to let that go. And he seems like he's in the right mindset. And me sitting here with a redneck accent from, you know, the great state of Tennessee trying to tell, you know, uh, Packer fans that Aaron Rodgers, I really hope he doesn't try to come out and overdo it. It sounds absurd, right? But just don't get cute. Don't change the plays at the line when you don't have to. Let's stick with the freaking running game and let's pound it down their throat. A 28.3 run defense grade last week against the 49ers. And they didn't even have their starting tight end, which is one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire league, right? So I think it's going to be very, very important. So, again, to attack their defense, establish are they in a 4-3 zone heavy defense? Keep in mind that they ran a four-man front 93% of the time, but they blitzed 20% of the time, which tells me there's a little bit of post-snap reading that needs to go on there, a little post-snap blitz there, uh, you know, where, where they're kind of sugaring and disguising that shell look while bringing pressure and establish the freaking run against that 28.3 run defense. So, think player not play in the fourth quarter, right? The fourth quarter is a new game. It's a, it's a brand-new ball game. You – you, you use the first quarter to assess, okay, are they doing what we expected them to do? If not, you take the second and third quarter to adjust or amp it up. And then in the fourth quarter, it's a whole new ball game. What I mean by a whole new ball game, guys, you ever notice how two if two teams play in the same season, it's very seldom that one team wins both of those games. Because in the first game, one team was successful at something, right? So the other team in the second matchup, adjust to that, therefore putting the first team at a disadvantage if indeed they do continue to do the same thing. You know, from from the winning team's perspective going into the second matchup, the goal is, hey, this is what worked last time. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And, mo- and I don't want to say in most cases. In some cases, that works again the second time. But then you've got the second team, you know, the, the losing team coming back and going, okay, this is what they did well last time. Let's adjust and really stop that and make them go a different route. That's why it's t- it's very rare that a team wins both matchups every game. It's why you heard me say when we were picking our games, it's <clears throat> I expect the Packers to split with the Minnesota Vikings because it's just so hard to beat the same team twice. What happened on Sunday between the Packers-Vikings will not be the same the same game that happens the next time the Packers play the Vikings. It won't happen because there's adjustments taking place right now. Will Minnesota mix it up and catch them off guard again? Who knows? Will Green Bay adjust and Minnesota try to do the same thing and Green Bay come out and boat race them? You know, it's the only time will tell. But again, when you get in the fourth quarter and you make, you, you've done make that second and third quarter adjustment, think player not play. Again, just like last week, the best players we have on offense are our running backs. And it just so happens to line up perfectly with their weakness right? Especially playing a quarterback who typically makes mistakes. He didn't last week against the 49ers. Of course, Trey Lance and that offense made enough mistakes for both teams. But Chicago forced them, forced Justin Fields to stay in the pocket and be a quarterback, play that quarter coverage look. You can mix in some cover six and, and, and you know, play cover four, mix in some cover six, do some, some uh, post-snap uh, rotating. Make Justin Fields post-snap read, period, right? And Aaron Rodgers can handle the post-snap read. Now, do I want to see a big play to Lazard if he's healthy? Absolutely. Do I want to see Christian Watson run that same exact freaking route? And I'm talking about 
just let Aaron drop another one in the bucket and Christian Watson go off for 180 yards. I would love to see that. But all of the numbers, all of the game plan prep here suggests the way you win this game is to run the freaking ball. And when you run the ball and you establish that run in the first half, it's going to open up some huge shot plays in the play action, right? So from an offensive standpoint, as we get ready to wrap up here, my goals to the or my my keys to the game is ride the running game, start the finish, right? Guys, against the Minnesota Vikings, the Packers only had 18 rushes. They had 18 rushes and 39 passes. They lost a tur- turnover differential by two, right? But only 18 runs. I want to see that get cranked up to at least 25 runs. I want to see the Packers run the ball at least 25 times. I'd love to see them crack the 30 mark and let Aaron have an off day and just manage the game, pound the ball down their throat, get ahead early, and make the Chicago Bears make the mistakes, right? And by doing that and protecting the football, especially at home, at Lambeau, in front of that home crowd, which I cannot wait. Post-game show, we're going to have a special guest. Bobby's going to be joining us from Lambeau Field. He's going to be there live. Really excited about having my buddy on uh, with us that night. But, again, protect the football and control the turnover. Win the turnover differential battle. Guys, you you hear me talk about it all the time. The middle eight and turnover differential is is why teams lose ball games. Guess what happened last week in Minnesota? Green Bay lost the turnover differential two to nothing, and they lost the middle eight handedly, especially with that third quarter turnover there coming out of the in the second half so again ride the running game um i want to see 25 to 30 runs at least heck crank it up to 35 i don't care let's run the wishbone whatever you gotta do pound it down their throat and protect the football and win that turnover differential now on defense play with a heavy box play with a heavy box and use an outside rush with contained technique Make Justin Fields stay in that pocket, and you're going to hit home on pass rush. It's going to happen against this offensive line. But make sure he doesn't get on the perimeter and make plays. And what really gets me excited is knowing that Quay Walker is going to be playing that mid-zone in this uh, in this cover four shell, right, in this cover six. He's going to be playing mid, and he's going to have his eyes on Justin Fields the entire time. I think there's going to be one or two plays where Justin Fields decides to tuck that ball, and Quay Walker is going to be all over him. Justin Fields ain't ready for Quay Walker's quickness. We've seen it last week. And thank goodness the injury report, like I said earlier in the show, suggests that he is completely healthy. That's really, really exciting there. So, again, play with a heavy box. Play the heavy box with outside rush and contain technique. Three and four deep looks. Make Fields use the whole field. Make him nickel and dime all the way down the field. Make him be patient. Make him step up in the pocket, and let's shut down their run while we pound the ball down their freaking throat with A.J. Dillon and uh, Aaron Jones. I'd love to see both of them go off for 100 yards. That would be awesome. If, if both of them get 60 to 70 yards each and, you know, Aaron Jones ends up with another 30 or 40 in the passing game too, that's great. I mean, uh, I, I think that's the key to the game. So that's how I see it. Um, hopefully this is something that you enjoyed. Again, we're going to start, we're going to do this all year long. Um, one or two episodes before the game. Typically I'm, I'm going to do this on Saturday, but again, we got a special guest coming on Saturday. So I thought let's go ahead and knock it out right now. Kind of give you guys a pregame primer. And uh, again, let's just kind of keep our, keep our ears to the injury report and see if anything changes there. And hopefully those guys, um, are going to be completely healthy, man. It would be really cool if we got Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins back. But I will say this, guys, if there's a week that you want to give them one more week of rest, this is probably it. This Chicago Bears team is not a good football team. That doesn't mean we need to overlook them. But take that into consideration when we talk about rushing Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins back. I think we can handle it with the guys we got. Now, if they're out there on the field, I'm going to be cheering louder than anyone because I'm excited to see those two hog mollies back out there. I mean, you're talking about two Pro Bowl caliber tackles. Um, stepping back into the lineup will be huge. Another thing that got mentioned, Matt LaFleur, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. A reporter asked him, and he said, absolutely. He said, do you think Zach Tom has a chance of starting? He said, absolutely. So now he's not going to say, no, he doesn't have a chance to start. But I'm hoping that Zach Tom can kind of work into the rotation. I didn't think he played great last week. He showed some flashes. But the only way he's going to get better, and on that rookie contract, that's a minimal deal. If you can get him in the starting lineup quicker, you know, sooner than later, then you're set at another offensive line position for the next four years, and I think that could be huge. So, again, appreciate you guys checking this out. 
hanging out with us again. I want to thank uh, Brian for signing up for Patreon. I went ahead and turned it loose again. It makes me feel uncomfortable what people have been asking. So there it is, patreon.com forward slash Clayton Bailey. And I uh, really appreciate everybody's support. So when we come back, guys, it's going to be Saturday show. And like I said, we're going to have a special guest on. And uh, we'll, we'll get some updated injury news, kind of give you guys the final say on injuries before we get to the actives and inactives on Sunday. And then, of course, we'll be back Sunday immediately following the game. Probably going to be 2 a.m., but you guys will get it in podcast form the next day. We'll be doing the Packers Total Access postgame show immediately following Sunday Night Football. So hopefully we got us a big dub there, get that monkey off our back and get ready for the Bucks. Uh, there in week three. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go! Third down, is to go.